Hello, you have found the Physics of Faith podcast. I'm Tim. I'm Tommy. And today we're going to be diving into 2 Peter. 2 Peter. 2 Se- Peter. 2 Peter, as uh, some presidential candidates may call it, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to go there. We're going to go there? Okay, <laughs> yeah, go we'll there. Go there. <laughs> not today. That's another podcast for another time. Uh, <laughs> Knock the table, sir. <laughs> Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna do Second Peter now. We just finished and wrapped First Peter. Yep. Um, so if you have a chance, go back and watch that. Now these two, uh, well, Peter wrote both of these letters. You don't necessarily need First Peter to understand Second Peter, right? Uh, but it's just kind of nice to do them together as they were both written by Peter. Mm-hmm. And so what we'll be doing here, if you're familiar with the, with this uh, with this podcast, kind of what we're doing here is uh, we're reading through the chapter. And as we read through the chapter, we'll take breaks and break down the verses that we've just read uh, until we get to the to the very end. Um, and then hopefully you can follow along at home and uh, and potentially uh, you know learn something. That's the hope. That's the hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, we we hope that you uh, dive into the Bible with us and uh, and be a part of this with us. So we're going to start here, Second Peter chapter one. And I am reading from the New American Standard. Um, read whatever version you are comfortable with, but we will get going. First, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted to us granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence... In your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. All right, so that was... uh, 1 through 11 there. So uh, we start at the top here. Peter says he is a bondservant, then he is an apostle. Uh, I think that's, again, we see this kind of with James and Paul as well. The important thing is that they serve Christ, mm-hmm. not who they are because of Christ. Right. Yeah, that the, these aren't, you know, that they, they're trying to make sure that the reader knows what, you know, and, and remember, you know, just as a reminder, this was a, this was a letter originally yeah. that, you know, that, that, uh, that he was writing to people for, you know, to what, for whatever reason. And, you know, I always, it's, and I, and I, I kind of forget this sometimes. And so it's, it's good as a reminder, you know, Paul wrote 
most of the New Testament. Now, Paul wasn't with Jesus, but Paul had all of the authority through God that God spoke those words to Paul, that those everything that Paul wrote is, is true. Yeah. But Peter, it's still, it's just a little different because Peter was there. He was You there. know, he was, I mean, and it's, and it's, it's sometimes important to remember that, that, yeah, he, Paul, you know, Paul, Paul is talking, you know, he spread the gospel as much as anybody did back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Peter speaks directly as a guy who, I mean, there's some people that say that, that Paul, that Peter was Jesus's best friend in, in the yeah. term of that, you know, you, it had, you had Peter, you had John, who probably were the two closest, and, and then James. Those were like the three guys that, that. Usually Jesus was with if he wasn't with the other twelve. Yeah, those were kind of the the top of the twelve, right? Yep. Um, and and what's interesting about that too is you also see them get it wrong a couple Yo, of times. For sure. You know, like for Peter sure. gets it wrong several times. Paul even has to rebuke Peter at one point. Yep. Um, Paul, not even having been there, knows that Peter was was messing up at one point. So um, yeah, you know, so it was, it's really good to also see that um, regardless of our station. Um, God's authority is the true authority, yeah, not the authority of our station. Yeah, and you know, Peter, I think is is one of the most interesting characters in the Bible, just because of he 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 was he was he's probably the most kind of relatable and and kind of sometimes like a a bull in a china shop a little bit, <laughs> yeah. Because like you know when <clears throat> when Jesus was walking on the water, Peter said, "All right, yeah, call call me out there." And so he did. He's like, oh, okay. Well, and then he did. And he walked on the water. Yeah. And then he doubted and then he sank. Yeah. You know, he uh, he was the one that cut off the servants here when they came to arrest Jesus. And then he also denied him three times. Yeah. You know, so he was the 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 farthest of both ends of the spectrum. And you and you see him, you know, on from both sides of the coin, you know, the the servanthood. But also the sinfulness on both sides. Yeah. Well, he was one of the first to preach to the Gentiles. It yeah. was kind of through him that God revealed that, hey, it's time to start preaching to the Gentiles. Yeah. And then, as Paul pointed out, he was quick to disassociate with the Gentiles when it served. Yeah. You know, when it made things more comfortable for him. Yeah. You know. Um, so and and obviously he repented of that. But yeah. like it's it is, you're right. It's very relatable because you see Peter knows clearly what is right, but he sometimes struggles with it yeah. based on the external forces that are around him. Yeah, you know, it and I and I think it's so many times and there's just about every name in the Bible that you can think of, they have great flaws and God did great things with them. I mean you know, Peter obviously did all those things, and it was also him that Jesus said, you will be the rock that my church will be built on. You know, Peter called him the rock. He called Peter the rock, and mm-hmm. that says something. It does. It absolutely does. All right, so um, as we read through this here, what we're finding here is that, um, you know, to really know God, we need to pursue him. And when we truly know him, we become heirs to everything pertaining to life and godliness through his divine power. Um, so Peter's kind of pointing this out here in, in verses, um, I think, 3 and 4, um, I think, or 2 and 3. Um, and we, we have to remember, though, that it's by his glory and excellence that we are called, and he intends all of these things for us. So, again, anything that we gain in Christ, we did not gain of our own accord. We gained it through him. He gave that to us. Right. And it's for his purposes that we've gained those things. Yeah, and and I think that 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 is that that's important to know is that 
God doesn't make any mistakes, and God doesn't do anything by coincidence. And and Jesus did everything with through for a purpose. And so every everything that we've been told, everything that we've been commanded, every um, event that happens to us has a purpose, whether it be good or bad. If it's bad, we can something it's something to learn from. If it's good, we take it and we run with it and and spread the gospel with it. But um, you know, nothing is nothing is by accident. Exactly. Um... And I think it's important to hear, we, he talks about God's promises here. One of the things that we always have to remember with God's promises is that his promises are based on his virtue, not on our own. And right. so we talked about that a little bit with in Galatians, I think, too, when we talked mm-hmm. about the promise to Abraham. There, you didn't achieve the promise, the promise was given. Yeah. And so the fulfillment of the promise came through Christ, not through something you did. Yeah, you know, um, so that's again. Peter is kind of uh, doubling down on that for us and, and showing the exact same thing. It's through his promises that we are partakers of the divine nature and have escaped the corruption of the world that comes on account of lust. Uh, I think it's interesting here that he says on account of lust. I think there's a lot of different words you could have put there. You could have put sin, or you could have put greed, or you could put. Mm-hmm. But I think lust is such a poignant concept, right? And I yeah. think I know like. For some, you might immediately go to um, to a sexual connotation, but lust is not limited to a sexual connotation. Yeah, for sure. It's ultimately a a word for impure desire. It's it's mm-hmm. your desire for the things that you know you ought not have. Yeah, right. There's uh, some similarities to kind of like coveting. Yeah, you know, you can you can lust after yes, you can lust after your neighbor's wife, but you could also lust after your neighbor's house, exactly, or his yeah. car, or his job, or his you know whatever the case may be. Exactly, and it's through entertaining these lusts that corruption, um, kind of works its way through us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, you're, you're talking about you're the end of, of verse four, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so so I've got the NIV. So. The end. The the my version says in the world caused by evil desire, so it doesn't yeah. get quite that um, specific, right? Uh, but it, it's the it's the same thing. But yeah. Um, okay. Um, so, but then he talks then about us being uh, partakers. Uh, so, like through his promises. Um, let's see. Am I skipping over a huge part here? Uh, uh, forgive me, I wrote these notes a few days ago, and now I'm trying to re- <laughs> yeah. recapture this. Okay, but uh, but he does mention here in this that we are partakers of the divine nature and have escaped the corruption of the world that comes on the account of lust. So that's there in verse in verse yeah. four. Um, when he says partaker, the Greek for that is koinonos, which means uh, partner or sharer, uh, associate or companion. So this is kind of interesting when we think about where that puts us with Christ, is that through him, we become a partner of his, we become an associate of his, we become a companion of his. Um, yeah. That's, that's some interesting language to use when we talk about our relationship with Christ. Yeah, and it's, it, it, yeah, it is, it is interesting to think of it as a, as a, your, your relationship with Christ as a partnership or as a companion. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you think about the disciples— that's kind of what they were. Yeah. You know, they, they they traveled with him, they did everything with him, and he said, Okay, these are these are, you know, he he guided them to um, you know, show them how to how to spread his word. And, you know, as as he was out doing miracles, you know, they were out picking up the thousands of loaves of bread that were left over from the five, you know, and yeah. 
you know, they were directing the they were directing the people when he was out preaching and and all of those things. And so, um, yeah, it, it is inter- it's 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 different to think of yourself as a partner, but it also helps you real remember that as a disciple of Christ, that is what that is what you are. You know, because yeah. that I mean, that's what you would call the disciples. We, we obviously we talk specifically about Peter spe- specifically, and then John and James a little bit, and they were Jesus's friends, but they were doing his work with him. Absolutely, I think that the the key here is that it is that we are not called uh, just to be saved by God, but mm-hmm. to be with God. Yeah, and it's and it's hard to think about as a you know in that context as a disciple because. Jesus isn't here physically. He's not sitting right. next to us. We're not listening to him talk as the disciples did. But from a spiritual aspect, he is he is with us all the time. And absolutely. and he is he is absolutely guiding us. And and we, you know, we, we talked about this in our in I think it was the last chapter of First Peter, speaking as though you are speaking the words of God. Yes. You know, you're serving as serving directly from the Word of God, speaking speaking encouragement as if you are speaking directly the words of of Christ. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, so so because of this, and this is where he goes in, in verse 5 here, is for this very reason. So this reason being we are called by God, we have the promise of God, and we are called to not just be saved, but to be workers with Him and to uh, be partners with Him. Yeah. Um, because of this, we should apply all diligence, um, and and our faith supply moral excellence. And he starts going through this list, right? It sounds very much like sanctification, right? Yeah. Um, now, the he starts this. He says, applying all diligence. I think this is important to note: is that growth doesn't just happen. You have to apply yourself, and you have to be diligent in that application. I think those words were very apt. Um, you have to continue to push and to do it, even when it doesn't feel like you want to do it, or you don't yeah. feel like you're capable of doing it, or you don't feel like you deserve to do it. Mm-hmm. All of those things, you have to push through those. You have to diligently seek growth in Christ. Yeah, and the yeah, the thing that I take from this is just always, when you, when you choose to become a follower of Christ, I think a lot of times people think that's the end. Like, right. okay, here I am, I'm done. Yeah. That's just the beginning. You know, yes. and and you know, as you said, it sounds like sanctification. Sancti, you know, for and that's kind of a big word. And for for folks who maybe never heard that or don't sure. know that that what sanctification is is becoming like Christ. Yes. And really, what it, at the end of the day, it's just growing in your faith. I mean, it's it's you're you're don't don't be content to just. Yep, I'm a follower of Christ. Gr- growing in your knowledge, growing in your. Grow, growing in your faith means doing these things, adding goodness, adding knowledge, adding self-control, adding—, yeah. adding Sounds a little bit like the fruits of the Spirit, too, doesn't it? It absolutely you know? does. You know, and so living in the Spirit, adding those things to your life and growing closer to, to Christ in those things. Um, and I thought there was something I was thinking about at the beginning of this that I was going to finish with, and I talked too long and I forgot what it was. But I'm sure it'll <laughs> come back to me. That's all right, you know, because <laughs> but but you make some really great points there. I think uh, you know we when we talk about salvation, you have justification, sanctification, glorification. Yeah, justification is that act of giving yourself to Christ. It's that proclamation moment. It's the thing that we all kind of associate as that. And Brandon yeah. and I did a, a, a episode on this where we talked about salvation. And then sanctification, as you just pointed out, it's that process of looking more like Christ. Um, 
So you're already saved, but you then have to you then continue to walk forward yeah. in that. And I think there's something to be said like you there's not if you're not moving forward, you're probably moving backwards. Yeah. Right. Um, so you that's where that diligence comes in. And then he starts walking through these things that you should be leaning into and letting God develop in you and things that you should be working on developing in yourself as well. Yeah. And to your point, sounds exactly like the fruits of the spirits. I wrote <laughs> yeah. I wrote that in my notes. It sounds exactly like the fruits of the spirits. Yeah. Um so there are a couple things though that he talks about in here um that have some very specific meaning. So something um I don't know if this is interesting or not, but Greek scholar Kenneth Woist says that when when they refer to self-control here, um, this is the word that is used to describe someone who is not ruled by the desire for sex. Mm-hmm. So we do see a a specific key on sexual immorality here. Yeah. Um, and the Greek, it is ekratia, uh, which is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. And that comes out of the Blue Letter Bible Concordance. Um, so these fruits of the Spirit should be markers for our walk in Christ, and if we lack uh, them here, it shows that we are still too focused on ourselves and not focused enough on God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, again, I think it's interesting. Sometimes when we say stuff like that, it's easy to jump into the negative. Okay, so I'm lacking, so I'm not good enough, so I'm not... Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> You're, if we compare ourselves to Christ, we're always going to fall short. 100%. So we have to take that as constructive feedback and understand that you're not there yet. Yeah. You probably will never be there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Strive for it mm-hmm. and take joy in it when, and the things that you do achieve, right? So Yeah, we're, we, can't, we can't be Christ because we have already sinned, so that, that can't yeah. be done. But we can be like Christ. We, yes. we are called to be like exactly. Christ. Exactly. Continue to be diligent in pursuing that. And as we see more of that in our life, and as we grow in those ways, we can be sure that we are on the right path. Um, as we pursue growth in Christ, we can be assured that the way to eternity is abundantly supplied to us. Um, so again, Christ, it's his promise to us that we are walking into, not us earning it. Um, but we can have confidence that we are in his promise, yeah, as we see fruit in our lives, yep, yeah, confidence I think is is a big one that we we often I think forget. You know, so often I think we, you know, we try to be humble, and so we remind ourselves. So we kind of think, and I'm guilty of this all the time. Like, you know, I'm I am imperfect, and so I'm never gonna never gonna be as good as Christ, and so. Um, you know, am I am I am I doing what God wants me? Am I am I all doing this? And I think that there there is all there always should be. You know, as as Peter talks about here, adding you bettering yourself and improving yourself, becoming more like Christ. Um, but Christ does give you those things. God will give you self control. God will give you knowledge. God will give you those things. And so when you when He gives you those things and you you use them and you do add to them. You can have the confidence that those things are from God and that you are on the right path. You're never perfect. You're never there. Right. But it, you can have the confidence. I think John talks about this a little bit, um, in that you can have the the knowledge and the comfort in knowing that, one, you Christ does love you, that you are going to heaven, that you are going to be with him, and that you are on 
the right path, and that you are following God the yeah. way you're called to do. There will be an end to this race, yeah. but the determination of whether or not you won is, did you stop running? Yeah. You know, and I think that's a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, let's go to verses 12 through 15. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So Peter assumes that the reader is established in truth, um, but he says he will always uh, remind them of these things um, as often as he can. And this is similar to Paul, you know, who knew the importance of repeating the truth. So I know a couple of times we've said, we've repeated ourselves as we've talked through this, and we just need to know that, hey, we're just like (laughs) Paul. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he knows that reminding uh, ourselves of these saints, it stirs us up. I think that's something that... I hate repetition personally, right? Like I don't like rereading something I've already read. Yeah. But it's important to do those things. It's important to remind ourselves of some of the foundational things, of some of the um, things, because it helps us remember it clearly. It helps us to ensure that we're not misinterpreting, and it stirs up those things that we know to be true so that we might walk them out. Yeah, you know, when I was uh, when I was in high school, I so I was in band, I played the saxophone. And one of the things that I often remind myself, um, one of the things that our, our my our band teacher told us, you know, whether we'd be playing a song and, and there'd be a, there'd be a part that would be really difficult. It would be a, a couple of measures that would be really, and so we had to practice it over and over and over again. And and so we would be in there, we would be in practice. And he's like, all right, and we'd play. They were like, all right, go from this measure to this measure, and he counted off, and we'd do it. He's like, all right, let's do it again, and we'd do it again. And then he would. And one of the things that I always remember, he said, he says. Don't practice till you get it right. Practice till you can't get it wrong. Mm. And I've always remembered that. You yeah. know, in that, you know, if if you're if you're trying to play an instrument and you get it right once in your practicing, that doesn't mean you're probably going to always get it right every time you play it there therefore. But yeah. practice it so so much that it that the muscle memory is just there that you can't it's it's you don't even have to think about it. And so I think that kind of what you're getting into is that, yeah, it it seems it it's annoying. You know, when you when you're practicing the saxophone or the trumpet, it's annoying to play the same thing over and over and over again. And but I'm sure music teachers do that all the time with students. Is that mm-hmm. all right? Practice again, again, and you, people and kids get annoyed with it. But there's a reason you do it, so you know that you do it right. And yeah. there's a reason that we we should reread the Bible and we should be always doing these things because. It's real easy to forget. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it's it really is. easy to forget how um, how simple it is in the at the grand scheme of things. How s- really the gospel of Jesus is fairly simple: confess your sins, follow Christ, and 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 love Him. You yeah. Love God, love others. That's that. It's those two things. Absolutely. And, and you know, as as we you know, try to grow and we read, it was like, okay, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Like at the end of the day, it's that simple. Yeah. And so it is good to re- repeat yourselves and just always remember 
Yes, and that was a great analogy as well as a great reminder that I need to practice my bass when I get home. <laughs> so I'm playing this Sunday, so okay. I, yeah, I'll try not to. I'll try to get it to where I, I get it right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's important here to point out too that Peter uh, knows or believes he's going to die soon, mm-hmm. and he wants the readers to be able to call these saints to mind when he's gone. I think there's something uh, that we have to remember about this is the the most influential people in our lives, there comes a time where they're not there anymore. Yeah. So it's important to remind ourselves of of the truth that they gave us and the, the things that they imparted into us. Yeah. Specifically if it's as long as it lines up with the word of God, you know. Yeah. Um but definitely that was the case for Peter. My so my my grandma all so she was a fourth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. And anytime I would say me and Tim if I was telling her something, me and Tim, she'd say, Tim and I. And it's like, me and, my, dad, me and dad, dad and I. And it is burned in my memory. <laughs> I never say me and whatever, because every time I, every time I do, I hear my grandma, blank and I. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been, my grandma passed away a couple of years ago. And even years before that, you know, it had been a while since she had told me that because, you know, her memory started to go. But also because... I learned it, and so I didn't make them. You know, I didn't speak that wrong around her. And even now, my son's only eight, and I'm already correcting his grammar, making sure that he speaks things the right way. It's never too early to correct grammar. Yep. (laughs) All right, so let's go down to verses 16 through 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such a declaration as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. So this is this is really cool. Peter is recounting his experience as a disciple yeah. and what it was that they witnessed. Um, this is it's really neat to hear him do this outside of the gospels. Yeah. Um, and he appeals to the fact that they were eyewitnesses. He's like, these yeah. aren't these aren't little clever tales that somebody came up with. Yeah. This is what we saw. This is what we did. Mm-hmm. This is what we heard. Yeah, I mean, this is the difference of 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 Peter's you know, Peter's epistles as opposed to Paul's. Again, not, and we said this at the beginning when we talk, not that Paul's are wrong or inaccurate by any means, but mm-hmm. Peter's was an eyewitness account. He was there. And he's saying yeah. like, this, we didn't, we didn't just make this up. We, we didn't uh, all talk about this and, and create these things. Like I, I watched him bleed. I watched him turn five loaves of bread into 5,000, enough more than enough food for 5,000 people. I watched him walk on water. Yeah. I, I watched it with my own eyes. That, yes. And that it is true. I think when we talk about to um, the standards for eyewitness testimony, our understanding of historical documentation and, and historical testimony that's written. Yeah. It is more than reasonable. Mm-hmm. In fact, more reasonable to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he was and that he did live, that he did die. Yeah. And that at the very least, his disciples believe that he rose from the dead. Yeah. It is more reasonable to believe that than anything else we have written in historical, you know, uh, yeah. in, in history of the ancient world. Yeah. I mean, how do we know anything happened? You know, how how do we know that that George Washington crossed the 
Delaware, Delaware River and yeah. and defeated defeated the English because it's been written by several different places and well, it's been repeated. If he hadn't, we'd all be speaking English. And we, yeah, yeah, we, we, <laughs> <laughs> we'd, be speaking, we'd be speaking right. Um, but no, yeah, <clears throat> you know how how do we know that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated? How do we know that any of these things? Because they we have eyewitness accounts that were written down, whether they be in letters or they mm-hmm. be in. You know, historical texts, however you want to, however you want to yeah. put it, written in books, yeah, uh, whatever. And then that's because we don't have video from the 1600s, so we no. have to go somewhere. No, and it would be interesting to see how much that we know as history today. Will two thousand years from now, will people be questioning it because yeah. they don't have photographic evidence? Yeah, or will they accept it because it's just simply not as impactful is believing that Jesus Christ is who they said who he said he was. Right. Right. All right. So now let's get down here to verses 19 through 21. He's going to appeal a little bit further here. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and in the and the morning star arises in your hearts. But Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Can't get any more clear than that. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's pretty clear, right? So yeah. he really appeals to the prophetic word in Scriptures. And, you know, Brandon and I have touched on this a little bit in some of our other episodes, but the number of prophetic utterances that occur in the Old Testament, yeah, which is at minimum, depending on where you're reading, 400 years prior to Jesus. Yeah. Um, like the, the number of these is, is, and I know he did a sermon on this once too, mm-hmm. like mathematically is nearly impossible. Right. Right. Everything we know about the scriptures, uh, the reliability of those texts, knowing that we have the texts as they were written from the Old Testament, and then also from the New Testament— like the the prophecy of scripture is clear that Jesus was prophesied of and he came and fulfilled those pro- those prophetic words. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting that it's and it's it's so good that that Peter wrote this because yeah, he's he's saying like these these weren't just whimsical guesses that these men these right. men and women wrote down. Like this was straight from the word of God that they spoke them to this for us to know. Yeah. And the reason, one of the reasons that we can know it's true is because they all came true. Every exactly. single one of them came true. But, and the, what also is important is there are several prophecies that were written, that had been written back then that haven't come true yet. Yes. And there are prophecies that are further on in this book that were written by his very good friend, John, yeah. that he probably, I, I would assume that, that Peter didn't read, you know, those, 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 those letters from John from the Isle of, of, of Revelation and all of those things. Yeah. I would imagine that Peter never read those. Um, Probably not. But there are a lot of prophecies in there that are yet to come true. Right. And so we can have that confidence to know that, one, the prophecies that already happened, were they were, came straight from God, and we know that because they all came true. And we, mm-hmm. we have the same confidence that all the prophecies that have yet to come true one day will be, and they, that they did come from the Word of God, and then we can have that confidence to know that Jesus is going to come back. And, yeah. you know, 
it, and it's hard to imagine this now, but Israel one day will be united. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and we, you know, we're looking at things and, and what we're seeing today has been, was written down. Like yes. you can find what's going on today in the word of God. Absolutely. I think it is hard for the skeptic to take Jesus at face value and say, especially in the modern sense, right? We have a Bible. So in a skeptic's mind, you have a book that tells me that I should believe Jesus. Yeah. Why? Like, it's too fantastic for me to believe, right? But when you break down all of the parts, and here's where, if look, if you're skeptical out there, I, I, I don't intend to offend you. But you have to move past your own ignorance and your own unwillingness to learn and to study and to dive into the truth of it. Yeah. This is where like Lee Strobel mm-hmm. and the case for Christ kind of comes out. Yeah. Is he was an atheist who was willing to do the research. And when he did the research, he found it more than reasonable, more than probable, but in his own life he found it certain yeah. that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Right. You know, one of my one of my favorite uh pastors, Bible teachers is David Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it I know he said this, and I don't know if he, I don't think he's quoting somebody else or not. But I hear him all say, "It takes much more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian." Absolutely, <laughs> it one hundred percent does. Because when you again, when you break it down and say, "Well, why should I believe that Jesus is who he said he is?" Well, first of all, the manuscripts that tell us that Jesus was here and what he said are reliable. Yeah, like again, without doubt, histor- it's historically reliable. The account of the disciples afterward, again, it's reliable. Mm-hmm. We know that they died on account of believing that he rose from the dead. Yeah. But then we go back and we do go into what... So we, we've got those eyewitness testimonies and what happened to them that, that Peter mentions in verses 16. But then in 19, we have the prophetic from the Old Testament, Yeah. which again... The, nobody, somebody didn't sit down and write the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Right. Different people wrote these different parts over the course of time. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus comes on the scene, the Old Testament already existed. Yeah. So somebody didn't backfill the prophecies. Right. They were there. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to willfully be ignorant of how we do contextual criticism and textual uh is it textual criticism, uh, to say, I don't believe this, that this is a farce, that this is unreasonable. Yeah. This is more than reasonable to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And that's what Peter is getting at here in this, in this last verses. Yeah. People are going to tell you, and this is to the believers out there, people are going to tell you that this is a fanciful story that makes you feel good about yourself, right? Yeah. Um, I'll never forget talking to some kid. I was in college, and I went to a buddy's house when I was back home, and I was just talking to this kid, and everybody's kind of around drinking and doing whatever, and this, this guy's like, so what are you going to school for? And I told him I was in Bible college, and he was like, oh, and like, it's like, yeah, I, I think church is great for people who need that type of thing and who, basically, people who are weak and need some form of comfort. But I don't sure. need those things. Yeah. He was too intellectual. He was too proud. He was too much in his own self to say, I don't need that. Someone yeah. else might need that, but I don't need that. Yeah. And and boy, he had missed that boat. And people are going to tell you this. They're going to tell you it's okay for you to believe your fairy tales yeah. if it provides you with some good. Just don't tell me that I have to believe them. Yeah. That's not the truth. 
-hmm. These are not made up stories. This is not a a J.R.R. Tolkien book that he wrote about Middle Earth. This is history, Mm -hmm. and it's a true history, and we need to take it seriously. Yeah, it's a it's a nonfiction book. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, that is the end of chapter one. Uh, we could ramble a little bit more on the uh, on, on the inerrancy of the word, but uh, why don't we just leave it at that? Sounds good. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and, and I tell you what, I'll say this the right way. And Tommy and I will come back in a few weeks with chapter two. <laughs> Sounds good. All right.